Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads Community Church, our vision is to awaken the city of Pittsburgh and surrounding areas by creating cool places to experience God in local neighborhoods throughout Pittsburgh and beyond. Now here is this week's message. There's a quick question I just wanted to, to, to ask, um, hard to kind of turn the corner from where we just were, but um, actually, uh, let me do this first, because how many of you guys heard my phone going off while I was praying? Okay, yeah, I, I figured you guys would. So let me put my phone on vibrate, and it wasn't just ringing, it was talking, it was announcing something, and I was praying it wasn't anything bad. So, uh, okay, uh, so let me guys ask you a question, um, now I know most of you guys are working places and, and doing things, but uh, if you had to think of what would be the ideal, like, dream job, what would that be? Anybody have any thoughts on what the ideal? Yeah. Hit the lottery and sit at home. The very opposite of a dream job, but still, that, that makes sense. Anyone else? Yeah. Professional hunter? Okay. Would you be paid or is that just paid in food? Paid, paid. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sitting in a watchtower observing things. Would you be, how much would you think that, how much, like, what's the dream salary for that job? Sky's the limit. All right. Anyone else? Dream job. Yeah. Pastor. Okay. All right. Yes. Yeah, what would be the ideal dream job? Like, the sky's the limit. This, like, well, for you, because everyone would have something. What would you say? Space explorer or astronaut. Yeah, dream job. Yeah. Marine sniper. Marine sniper. Yes. Okay. All right. That's what every parent wants to hear their child say in church. I want to be a sniper. All right. Any? Park ranger. Okay. Yeah. Professional grocery shopper. All right, all right, all right. So now here's the thing: some of those jobs that you guys named is a dream job. It would be ideal and probably with a dream salary. Uh, for some people, those jobs are actually a reality. Obviously, we have park rangers, we have some space space explorers. Probably not to the degree that we like. If it were me, they would they'd be exploring space and time and other universes and smaller universes, and all, I read too many comic books, but they'd be doing all that stuff. Um, there are actually marine snipers that we're not supposed to know about, um, and uh, there are professional grocery shoppers that these people that coupon, and that is all they do. And uh, here's the for some of us, these things that we say, yeah, this would be a dream job, for some people, it's what they would call a seam-type job, like this seems possible. In other words, for one person, it's a dream. There's no way on earth that this is ever going to happen. For another person, it's like, yeah, it's doable. It may take some time. It may take some work. They take dreams and make them seem possible. And what we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks in this series is taking dream, not jobs, but dream things, the things that people kind of dream about, the, the things we don't think about, the supernatural stuff about God, that's out there, and yeah, we heard about it, but we don't really talk about it. And we're going to bring that down to show that this is not only seems possible, but it is possible, and it's real. And and it's it's to uh, the reality that there's a lot of aspects of God that we don't know just because He is so huge and He is so big. 
but there's a lot that we don't know just because we tend not to talk about it or think about it. For example, we, um, um, we're going to talk today, we're going to touch on uh, the Trinity, the aspect of God of that there is this one God that exists as, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about angels. Now, how many of you guys have ever heard uh, things about angels, seen TV shows, comic books, and all this kind of stuff? I Believe me, believe me, when we go through this series, you're going to see that most of what we have heard is not true, and the things that are true are going to seem, they're going to seem like there's no way that's true. That's totally impossible, but we're going to pull it right out of God's Word. Also, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about heaven, and despite popular belief, we're not all going to be just sitting on clouds for eternity, um, eating donuts and marshmallows. Uh, some people's heaven, that would be great, but that's not the reality that God, the picture that God gives us of heaven. Uh, we're also going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's kind of like a controversial thing uh, because some people dwell too much on it. Some people have ignored it. And we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. And we'll really dig into uh, a couple of weeks on just uh, the role of the Holy Spirit his, in, in the Trinity, his role in our lives, and uh, the gifts, the spiritual gifts that people talk about. And we're not going to focus on the ones that people are always talking about and tongues and this and that. We're going to focus on the ones that people just totally ignore and have eliminated and have literally today said, well, this doesn't exist. This isn't true. Uh, and then we're going to talk about prayer, uh, not so much from the, hey, let's pray, but from what is taking place uh, on the other side of that phone call, if you will. Because we know what we're doing down here. But from a spiritual aspect, there's a lot going on up there that we don't really know about. And we kind of like, who cares? And we ignore. Uh, but the thing uh, is that, you know, if God is a spirit, which is what he tells us in his word, God is a spirit. And if God is a spirit, uh, then he's not just a physical being or a natural being. He's a super natural being, not supernatural in the way that we have, TV has kind of indoctrinated us to think of, because we think of like paranormal and ghosts and goblins and zombies and vampires, and they all wear cool clothes and go to high school. That's not the kind of supernatural that we're talking about, all right? So um, uh, the church, what, what, what happened was the church used to debate over all these things, these, these dream-like supernatural things about God, about heaven, about the Trinity, about, you know, the role of the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, that's obviously not good, but then they've kind of went to the whole other extreme and said, we're just not going to talk about these things at all. We're just going to pretend that this is not important, that these things aren't real, that this aspect of God does not exist. And how about you? Have you ever been in a family cycle where something happens and then everyone says, we're just going to pretend that didn't happen. We're going to ignore this thing. And we're going to kind of like shove it. Uh, now, does that, you don't have to answer, but does that make the thing go away? Does that mean that the thing isn't true? No, it does not. Are you sure? Okay. All right. So now here's the thing. Since this is a crucial aspect you know, God is supernatural. God is a spirit. This is a crucial aspect of who God is. And if God has put his spirit inside of us, if we are Christ followers, then it becomes a crucial aspect of who we are. I mean, does that make sense? If, if all of these, uh, God is a spirit and he 
is a spirit. He tells us that in his word. We're going to look at that. And if that is a crucial aspect, I mean, it's huge to understanding who God is. And then he takes his spirit and puts it in us, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Then that becomes a huge aspect of who we are. We can't deny that part of our lineage or heritage in our relationship with God. So um, I know lots of religions have differing viewpoints on, on this whole ordeal, all right, on all of these topics. So uh, I'm, I'm not going to tell you, you know, who's right or who's wrong. We're just going to look at uh, what God says. So first, uh, let me ask you to turn to the book of John, chapter 3, and we're going to start off. And let me give you a little bit of background info. In John, chapter 3, many of you are familiar with that passage of Scripture. Uh, it's where um, uh, a man named Nicodemus comes and he talks to Jesus Christ, and, and Jesus gives him this, um, uh, well, first, Nicodemus is a, uh, one of the Pharisees. He's a religious ruler in Jerusalem, and as he's coming, he came to see Jesus to make sense of what was going on, because as a religious ruler, he was responsible for teaching the people about God. He was responsible for explaining to them, here's what the scripture says, and here's how we take that and put it in our lives, and here's how, because of what that says, God wants you to live this way or that way or whatever. He was responsible for doing that. But then what he had been told or raised to believe didn't match up with what he was seeing Jesus Christ do. There was this mishmash. And, and maybe this is, I mean, maybe not for you, but maybe for some people in your circle of influence, you know people who have, you know, the church has told us one thing, the Bible tells me another thing, and when I pray about it and I'm seeking God, I'm feeling that there's a mishmash, these things don't match up. And so Nicodemus does what, you know, I constantly tell us to do, don't just believe what the preacher says, don't just believe your own interpretation of what the Bible says, go to the author, go to the source talk to God. So Nicodemus shows up, and he has a conversation with Jesus Christ. And in um, chapter 3, drop down to verse 10, this is Jesus talking to him, and he says, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? And what he just told him was some spiritual truths. He told him, you know, you must be born again. You must be born of the water, and you must be born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus is scratching his head and saying, what? This doesn't make sense. It's not meshing with my understanding of reality. And Jesus goes on and tells him, how can you, um, verse 10, he says, you are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? Verse 11, I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Now, uh, depending upon who you talk to, some people say the we is referring to the Jews, because later he makes the statement that, you know, salvation is from the Jews. But that's not really because if you read any of the Gospels, he's constantly telling the Jews that you don't get it. Your understanding of Scripture is different from what God really wants you to get. The whole reason he came down is because humanity wasn't getting it. So the we does not refer to them. Some people, it says it refers just to the apostles. But if you read through the Gospels over and over and over again, he's telling the apostles, no, you're wrong. This is the truth. No, you're wrong. This is the truth. And over and over, you'll see where, but the apostles didn't understand what Jesus was saying. So the we, and this is my opinion because it's not clarified here. This is my opinion. The we is God speaking of the Trinity. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he says, I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone and believes in him may have eternal life. Now, the Jews had previously said that their whole, you know, thing of, of, of following God was God was all about the Jews. And he's saying, no, it's not all about the Jews. It's all about you as humanity lifting up and worshiping God. And he's saying, you don't get it. He's saying, you, you can't teach people if you're eliminating and don't understand this spiritual aspect of who God is. It's basically, if we were to put it in the, in the, in the Floyd Hughes version, he would say, how can you teach people because you don't get it? What in the ham sandwich are you doing? You cannot communicate the truths of the Bible and the truths of who God is to people because you're eliminating the hugest part of who God is. And that's the spiritual aspect. Now, um, turn to uh, John chapter 4. Just one chapter over. And this is, again, familiar. Many of you guys are familiar with this. This is Jesus talking to a woman by the well, uh, and he offers her uh, a spiritual filling for her thirst. Um, He has a conversation with her. And here's the thing. He goes, um, he's on his way somewhere, and there's this area called Samaria. And this conversation takes place just outside of Samaria. And so Jesus stops to talk to this woman at the well. Now, the, the city of Samaria was a place where the Jews didn't go. They didn't go. They thought there was, you know, the people there were, were not clean, were not worth spending time on, had a diluted version of who God is, a diluted type of worship. In other words, they thought these people don't really know who God is and they don't get it. And, and in my mind, what can be more annoying to God than people who say, I know who God is, not wanting to go and share the gospel with people who don't? Here's a whole people who are supposed to have the knowledge and revelation of the one true God, and there's a whole city that they literally, instead of going through the city when they were traveling, they would go around the city so they didn't have to come into contact with those people. And in my mind, I'm thinking, is there anyone else who needs God more? Isn't that the place where you shouldn't just go through, maybe set up camp? Maybe do a couple of lunches, go have coffee. So as you interact with these people, you get the opportunity to share the revelation of who God is. And that's, that's what Jesus does in um, John chapter 4. Drop down to verse 10. And I'm going to go through this quickly because it's, it's a long passage. But Jesus answered her, if you know the gift of God and who it is that you asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water because they're by the well. And Jesus says, can you get me some water? And she thinks he's hitting on her because of her life experiences. That's what she perceives. Uh, and he says, no, this is not about physical water. This is about a spiritual thing. He, he says, there's a spiritual thing um, that you're missing. And you've been trying to fill it with a physical thing. There's a spiritual gap in your life, and you've been trying to fill it with uh, promiscuity, 
sexual dalliances with man after man after man. And, and we've got to get that there is, when we have a spiritual gap, anyone who has a spiritual gap, something spiritual missing, it can never be filled with something physical. If you have a spiritual gap, there is nothing physical that can fill it. Uh, a relationship won't do it. Intimacy won't do it. Drugs won't do it. Drinking won't do it. Working more won't do it. Working less won't do it. The only thing that can fill the missing gap that's left by that f- spiritual void is to fill it with something spiritual. And that's God. So 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did, excuse me, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Now, here, here immediately the first thing she starts to do is, and, and she's proclaiming that, you know, I, I won't say, you know, she's like church folk, but she's one of the people that kind of, I know about church. You ever talk to someone that, you know, as soon as the conversation turns to something about church, yeah, I know about church. They start quoting to you things out of the Bible that they heard from their grandparents or their mom, and usually it's half right and half wrong. And she begins to, to tie this to, well, here is what my grandparents did. Here is what, what, what we did church-wise. We got this well from Jacob. Or we do this in our church setting. Or we've been around this church for, for you know, like we just celebrated the 110th birthday. Their church, we've been around for 250 years. We haven't added a new person in 200 years. We never go out and share the gospel. But this is the stake that we're staking our claim on. This is, this is what we've done. And that's what she begins to proclaim. Here's what we've done. This is the well that our ancestor planted. And she's missing the point, and Jesus goes on, and he tells her, verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from himself, as did his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. This is where Jesus starts to say, Hey, you're looking for something physical. I am offering you something spiritual. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now it is extremely embarrassing if you're in this situation. Because basically you're having a conversation with someone and they reach into the recesses of your life experiences and pull out this baggage. And you have this baggage. And you messed up here. And you failed here. And you did this here. And that is honestly not something that we get to do or should do, but it's something that God does because when we pull it out, it's usually to be, like, antagonistic or to gossip or to hurt someone or to make us feel superior or make them feel inferior. When God pulls it out, it's so that he can help heal you from it. And that's something that none of us, no one can do. Again, if there's a spiritual wound, we can't heal it. We can guide them to, towards God so that he can heal it. 
Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. In verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Verse 21, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, this is, this is probably the linchpin for everything that, that we're going to be talking about in this series. Let me put this up on the screen. He tells her, yet a time is coming and has now come. See, that's the thing. It, 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 uh, the church, we kind of have the mindset that, you know, we can, we can, you know, we used to talk about God being a spirit and the supernatural gifts of God and how his Holy Spirit works in us. And maybe we'll get back to that someday. And we used to be able to worship that way. Uh, but the true church, this is Jesus saying, this isn't my opinion. He says the time for that is now. The time has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, God owns everything. He created everything. He needs nothing. But he is seeking, looking for, the only thing you will find in Scripture that God is looking for is people willing to worship him in spirit and in truth. He's not looking for people that are committed to sitting in pews. He's not looking for people that say, I'm going to go out and do 100 hours of things on your behalf, God. He's not looking for people that have, you know, millions of dollars and give all of it to him. He's looking for people that are willing to worship him in spirit and in truth. All that other stuff will come out of that when we're willing to worship him in spirit and in truth. And he says, verse 24, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. He says that God is a spirit. He says that God is, is, is not a, a corporal being. He's not a physical being. That God is a spirit. And it's the same thing that God reveals to us when he first, first reveals his word to us. Turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Uh, very first book in your Bible, for those of you, I'm going to put the rest of this up here on screen just for the sake of time. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the word that's used there of God is a, a, a word that literally, literally, it means, it's, it means God, but it's a word that also means plural. So in an es- essence, it would, it, it's kind of like God, but the plural of it, like them or many or uh, the Hebrew word is, um, if that comes up, there you go, Elohim. And it literally means th- that God exists as a plurality or a multiple. Now, God goes on to say in his word that, uh, you know, there is only one God, only one. And I've heard uh, the best definition I can give, because I know people come up with all kinds of examples of, of what this treaty means. The best definition I can give that I've heard is that there is one what, one God, that exists as three who's. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it may be difficult for us to wrap our mind around, and that's because there is nothing else like it. So uh, people that try to say, you know, it's, 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 it's the, they say, you know, have you guys heard this, the, the egg yolk, that there's, you know, the shell, 
and then there's the white part, and then there's the yellow part, and that's the same as the Trinity, and that's not true because the shell is only the shell. The shell doesn't exist. I mean, that's three separate things that exist together that make up one. This is one thing that exists as three. So the shell is not the yolk. Uh, the yolk is not the white part. The shell can never be anything other than the shell. So it's, it's a, it's, it, it helps you picture three things that are together, but it's not an accurate representation of God or the Trinity. And then what about, have you guys heard the, the, the ice cube, and then it turns into water, and then it turns into, like, steam or whatever that, that that's an accurate represent And that's not an accurate represent- representation either, because if you take an ice cube that's, let's say, this big, and you melt it, it's no longer this big. It's now smaller because a portion of it has melted into the water, and if you evaporate the water, uh, it, I mean, that's, it's, the same, it's not the same because it's saying that this thing gets smaller, and there's a portion of it. Now, if you could take the ice cube and make that same ice cube exist as the same volume of water at the same time it's existing as steam, all as one, that would be an accurate representation, but that's scientifically impossible. And the reason why we can't find an accurate kind of like analogy of here's what the Trinity is like, because there's nothing like it in the universe. There's nothing in the universe that exists like that. And I'm t- not even in comic books, and I've read like almost all of them. Almost all there are. And even in comic books, they have not come up with something that exists like the Trinity, and they create like uh, people that exist as the universe that, you know, whole worlds are living inside of and all that kind of thing, but nothing like the Trinity because there is nothing like it that we can compare it to. And, and, and um, uh, throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, you'll see, uh, turn, well, you don't have to turn, I'm going to turn up here, but in the book of Luke, throughout the Bible, you'll see these over and over where God, uh, uh, as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is this intricate interaction and when we in a couple of weeks when we talk about the holy spirit we'll really flesh this out today i'm just kind of touching on it to get us into this whole series but um in luke chapter 1 verse 34 to 35 and this is as many of us remember we usually don't think about it until christmas but the virgin birth uh and in verse excuse me 34 uh mary is asking how will this be mary asked the angel since i am a virgin in other words how is this birth of the Messiah going to occur? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High, referring to God, will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In John chapter 15, verse 26, this is Jesus talking. He says, when the counselor, referring, referring to the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send... He says, Jesus says, the counselor, the Holy Spirit is going to come, but I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me. Now, if you look in the King James Version, it says, um, the Holy, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you, who proceeds from the Father. Because the Hebrew language doesn't mean I sent him or comes out. It literally means proceedeth out of, as in, this is not the best analogy, but as in spitting out of your mouth coming forth from out of you. So the, um, I will send to you from the Father who goes out from the Father is literally, I will send to you from the Father who comes out of the Father himself. And he says, he will testify about me. And in the book of Acts, it says, God has raised this Jesus to life. Now this is uh, Stephen, um, 
no, excuse me, this is Peter as right after, you know, the, the Holy Spirit came on the apostles and they began to speak in other tongues. And Peter stands up and he gives this sermon and he's talking about Jesus. He's giving the testimony about, you know, what, what has happened in Jerusalem. And he says, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. See, before, Jesus said that, I'm going to send him, and he's going to come out of the Father. And now Peter is saying that uh, he has now received the Holy Spirit, and literally Peter says God raised Jesus to life, but then we hear in um, uh, Paul tell us that the same Spirit, we have the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that it was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus to life. And often you'll find that these words, especially if you look throughout the, whole, the Old Testament, that these Titles and words are used interchangeably where God is acting or Jesus is acting or the Holy Spirit is acting where they're used interchangeably because they are one. And uh, again, it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around. So um, for those of you that are asking why in the world is this important, uh, let me jump back to Genesis really quickly. And then we're going to wrap this up. This is the creation story where God has created everything and then he creates man. And in Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us. Make man in our image. And there are some people that says the us is the angels. Angels don't have creative power. You never see it or hear about it anywhere in Scripture. The only one who has creative power is God. And he says, let us make man in our image. And if you read in Colossians, it talks about that it was Jesus Christ who created the universe and created everything and holds it together in him. He says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, as one God, says, hey, let's create man in our image. And then uh, we're told, so God created man in his singular own image. In his singular God, one God, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He, one singular God, created them. So here's, here's um, the thing. This is why this is important, because we are created in the image of God. And when God created us, he put his spirit inside of us. And if you read through the creation story, you saw where he, uh, it says where he breathed into Adam and Adam had the breath of life and became a living being. And then when we sinned, man, we cut that spirit. Now, we still have a spirit inside of us, but it was no longer connected to God. And ever since then, there has been this spiritual vacuum that man has been trying to fill and this mission that mankind, humanity, has been on to try to connect with God. And we have tried every way known possible to do it until God finally said, hey, stop trying. I'll do it for you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to wipe away, not just cover, but to wipe away those sins so that anyone who asks can be reconnected to God. Now, uh, if you look at the creation story some more, uh, God made plants. And how many of you guys have started doing your gardening thing and, you know, lettuce? I have eaten more lettuce in the last, like, week and a half than probably all of you have all year. 
breakfast, lunch, and dinner, like salad spinning, like I'm an expert. And you guys have a salad spinner? Dude, those are awesome. You have got to get one of those. If you're picking salad out of the garden, and um, I'm sure you could put other stuff in it and have just as much fun. But um, God made plants, and plants are li- alive. They're alive. You guys know that, right? I'm, okay. They are alive. They are living, breathing organisms. But that's where it stops. They have a body. They, have, they function as living organisms. That's it. But then God created animals. And he put in animals a consciousness, right? They are aware, you know, like dogs are aware, animals are aware, lions and tigers and bears, and uh, they all are aware of each other. They can uh, eat, they can drink. If you have cats, they can never leave. They just stay, but they're all aware. They have an awareness, but that's where it stops. But then God said, I'm going to create man, And we have that body, we have that consciousness, that mind, but we also have a spirit. Because we're made in the image of God, we have a part of us that desires to reconnect with God. And every person on the planet has that. As the band comes up, uh, let me share this with you. Because the problem is not that people um, have this. The problem is that people ignore it or deny it. And since we are made in the image of God, if we're denying that aspect of who God created us to be, we're not fully living life to the fullest. We're living life as only functioning as a portion of who we could be. We're living life separated from God and we're not fully engaging in all that God equipped us and created us to be. And here we have this loving God who exists as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who created us, who died for us, and who put his spirit inside of us. And it's just sitting back waiting for us to come to him because he's cleared the path and cleared the way. And all we have to do is say, yeah, God will come. And in every one of our circle of influences, we have family members or friends or coworkers or people who have that same spiritual gap. And they're doing the same thing that you and I did. They're either ignoring it or they are denying it. And we don't have to beat them over the head with the Bible. All we have to do, what we've been talking about for the last couple of months, all we have to do is just open up and be able to share what God is doing in our life. And I imagine what the life of the woman by the well would be like if rather than going around that city, someone had went through that city. And if one of those men, rather than hitting on her, I said, hey, I've got a family member that's probably been through some stuff like you. And we just want to talk to you and pray with you, take you out to coffee or lunch. And God did for her what he wants to do for us, what he wants to do for our family members and friends who have that spiritual vacuum. 
And that's just to enter in and say, hey, I know there's some stuff going on in there. There's some history. There's some baggage. There's some hurts. There's some wounds. But you will never bear those burdens on your own. And he's just saying, let me in. Because I have such a joyful, wondrous life for you. So I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads with me and pray. And then we're going to enter into a time of just worshiping God. God, I thank you that you did not leave us to our own devices. That you see every hurt, you see every joy, you see every triumph, and you see every failure. I thank you that through our relationship with you, that you do provide healing. You see us through each and every circumstance. That the things that we look and say, this is a wall that's blocking me from continuing in life that you make it nothing more than a road bump that we can get over in life. God, I pray that you would, again, just bring to mind people in our life that are dealing with those spiritual vacuums, that are hurting, that are in need, that we don't try to go to them and tell them that we have the answer, but we just share with them that we know the one who does. We just share with them the pain that we may have had where you stepped in and you provided healing where nothing else could do it, God. Praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Just bow your heads. God, one of the greatest privileges that we have is to worship you and exalt your name. And one of the greatest joys that we can experience is to share that with someone in our circle of influence. To let someone who is going through pain or has uh, just issues in their lives, to share with them that there is a God who loves them like no one can imagine. Walk with them to a place where they also can just lift up and worship you and exalt your name. God, we praise you for spilling, for filling that spiritual void in our life. For filling that empty hole by giving us your spirit. God, we pray that we would not ignore or deny created, equipped us, and called us to be worshipers and followers of a loving God who loved us enough to give your son up for us. God, as we walk out of here and go about our day and our week, we pray that, again, as your spirit allows us, as you bring us into those opportunities, give us the words to share with those in our circle of influence what you are doing in our life. Give us the words to share how awesome you are, how loving you are, how great you are, and how it has impacted us. God, we pray that you would bless us throughout this week. We pray that your hand would be upon us and that you would use our lives as a living testimony your goodness, your greatness, your power, might, and authority, that you would be glorified. 
pray this in Jesus' name.